Okay, well, uh, welcome back, uh, everybody, to the uh, next episode of Mastering Risk Management Podcast. My name's Anthony Wilson, and today we have a uh, very special guest, so Andrew Wern, who's the uh, CRO for Coca-Cola Amatool. So welcome along, Andrew. Thanks, Anthony. Good to be here. No problems at all. So um, maybe firstly, Mm. Andrew, just tell us a little bit about yourself and background. Yeah, I can give uh, a little bit of background on what I do here at um, at Amatool. Um, my remit as the CRO is uh, encompasses the risk management framework, so how we uh, understand what our risks are and how we manage those and how we report those to the exec and to the board. Uh, the internal audit program, so ensuring we've got good controls uh, in place and, uh, and good assurance. Um, the treasury function, so the, recently, about 12 months ago, we incorporated the treasury function, um, so we have a holistic view of how risk is being managed, which includes yep. the financial risk management piece. Yeah, yeah. Um, fraud and security uh, is the other area, so uh, looking at controls, obviously we're a manufacturing company and uh, ensuring that we've got good controls around, um, you know, people don't steal our product or tamper with our product, which yeah. is very important. Yeah. Uh, and then the uh, the other part of my remit is, is is when we manage all those risks, we sometimes have to transfer some of that risk through insurance. So yep. that's the other part of the portfolio. Okay. And I've been with Amatol. Uh, this is my eighth year. Ah, excellent, yeah. excellent. So it's a hell of a big portfolio um, for a CRO. Um, the risk one's probably um, the key thing. The insurance is pretty common, mm. but some of those other functions like treasury and those sort of things. Did you have compliance as well? Uh, it is compliance. It's it's interesting. Compliance is managed a little bit more disparate or silo based. Right. Um, our general counsel generally reports compliance and compliance breaches to our board. Right. Um, but as you can imagine, compliance both internally and externally, we have things like um, food and safety compliance, health and safety compliance, and data privacy. Then you've got ASIC and ASX, and then you've got chain of responsibility. Yeah. So there's a whole host of compliance that's being managed by local businesses, like yeah. by Australian beverage business. Indo will have their own compliance but generally that umbrella um, with compliance comes through our our general counsel uh, and us so there's a little bit of a crossover Um, if there's an area I think that we're evolving uh, in is in the area of compliance we've just put on a new compliance manager Uh, he's only been in the business six months so we're building the compliance not to say that we're not compliant it's just that it's been done in silos so we'd like to get a little bit more umbrella Excellent. Now, just before we get into yourself and how you got into risk, just just for clarity, I think people see Coca-Cola and they think Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. Yep. Um, it's actually uh, Coca-Cola Amatol, which yes. is the operation here. So maybe just what that encompasses geographically. Yeah. And yeah, sure. Well, Coca-Cola Amatol, and, and we're sort of rebranding internally. We're Amatol now because right. Coca-Cola Amatol have been around, oh, I think it's close, it uh, must be 100, 100 years, and yep. we're a, a company that's listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Yeah. Um, and if you look at our history, we've been in everything from tobacco um, to the snacks. We used to uh, make twisties. Yes. Um, and, and so we're sort of a portfolio business. Um, but by far and away, our biggest revenue generator is that of the Coca-Cola brands. Yes. So Coke and Fanta and Sprite. And the way that the model works is that, um, as I said, we're listed on the ASX, but the Coke company in Atlanta are 30% shareholder. Right. In our business, so not only are they a major shareholder, and they have two members on our board, yep. uh, they're also a major supplier. 
So we buy all the concentrate from them. Right. So if I keep, if, if it's a simplistic model, it's uh, we get the concentrate and we bottle it. We, we add water, yep. some sugar, yep. some magic, and we turn it into go. a wonderful product. Yep. So, but then we have the SPC business. Um, we have alcohol and coffee. Uh, you know, we, uh, we distribute Jim Beam products, uh, Jim Beam and, and Coke. Um, Grinders is a coffee business. Um, as I said, the food business. So it is a portfolio type of business. Yep. Um, Amatul is responsible for um, the op- bottling operations in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Fiji, Samoa, Indonesia, and PNG. So if you like that sort of that South Pacific ring, yes, um, which is that umbrella for Amatul. Yep. Um, but it's very much uh, driven. Our revenue is driven by the Coca-Cola products. Yep. Yep. And, and when it comes to things like um, the brand, because mm-hmm. it is such a yes, you know, well-known brand and a global brand, do you, does does Amatol have sort of any reporting relationship with Coke in the US around brand protection? Or where do those responsibilities sit? Generally, the brands themselves yep. are. Well, they're all our responsibility, yes. but yep. um, the Coca-Cola company is responsible right. generally for the brand. So when it comes to uh, a good example is to uh, you know the, the above the line advertising, you know the big television commercials, yep. the bigger sponsorships. Usually that's help uh, that's handled by a Coca-Cola company. Right. So right. Um, we do have our own marketing budgets, and you know it's it's certainly around the certain packs, and we yep. deal with our route customers and our sort of what we call our operational customers. So we do market the brands with them. Yep. But when it comes to the brand marketing, yep. um, that's owned by the Coke company. Right. But we are also custodians, so anything that could bring the brand into disrepute, yep. um, we want to make sure, like yep. a tamper or any controls around that sort of stuff. We're heavily involved. That's certainly we're, we're a family. Yeah. yeah. It, yep. it, we are a franchise system, yep. and we're a partnership. Okay, they're a major partner, yep. just like Jim Beam is our major partner. Right, you know, it's they're a major partner. Okay, good, good. That's great. Well, thank you because I think that that'll probably bring clarity to a lot of people that probably just saw Coke as this big global enterprise. Um, so maybe just back a step to yourself and um, mm. and uh, you know where you came from, how you got into risk management, what what brought you into this wonderful profession that we're in. <laughs> Yeah, interestingly, I started um, early days, uh, 18, wanted to leave school and, and start earning money pretty quickly. Yep. Um, had friends going off to uni and I thought, I just want to get out and start earning money. I had uh, ambitions of getting the, the car and yep. moving out of home. and So I actually fell into debt collecting um, and right. not, not the debt collecting where you're sort of banging on the door and strong arming. I was sitting in an office making the phone calls um, and then directing... Uh, the clients to legal action, so getting sheriffs around and um, right. you know, wages garnishes, and yep. so I opened this world of this is how credit works. And then by the time I sort of did that for two years, I thought I'm really not going to go anywhere unless I start studying something. So I actually picked accounting as a pref- as a profession, and I went back and I went uh, three day- three nights a week. Um, started off with the City Institute and um, of Technology and started doing an accounting qualification for four years. Yeah. So I did that, and then straight off the back of that, I did the MBA program um, wow. and got my Masters of Management and Finance um, before I decided to travel around the world. So in the while I was doing debt collecting and studying, I got a job in accounting for a software company. And that software company, I found, 
you know, you're doing accounts payable, accounts receivable, general ledger reconciliation. You're doing all the accounting and yep. and, and got a good basis in accounting. Um, found it wasn't really for me, my personality. Uh, <laughs> after all that studying, thought, wow, accounting's not the profession that I thought it would be. Yeah. Although it paid well. Um, so I got an opportunity with the same software company in selling software. Okay. So they moved me to sales. Right. And I moved to the UK and took up a sales type role in the UK selling risk management software. Ah. Uh, the software company I was working for was SAS, so data warehousing. Yes. They were bringing in risk management. Uh, it was at the time when Basel II Accord was being written for the banks in early 2002. Yeah. So got involved and in talking to banks and then suddenly found myself in this risk management profession. Uh, after a few years of selling risk management software, um, had conversations with KPMG, and KPMG said, "Great, we'd love anyone who can." This is, you know, when the profession was exploding yep. around two thousand two, two thousand and three. Yep. I joined KPMG at the end of oh three, and their risk management practice was doubling year on year. Wow! Uh, banks was cr- crying out for how do we implement systems around risk? Yeah, you know, traditionally it was always auditors, and you know, risk was very, very young. Yes. And so I went to KPMG, I had a few years with KPMG, was on a secondment for, uh, for Westpac um, in the operational risk area, and they said, we'd love you to, to head up operational risk for the institutional bank at Westpac. Wow. So I spent a few years with Westpac, and great sort of introduction into how the bureaucracy works and administrative burdens of risk and... A lot of frustration on you know thousands of risk registers and um, and getting the business to fill in forms and meetings that they didn't want to go to and it yeah, was a, it was yeah. a time where risk was purely set up for compliance requirements. Yes. Um, then got tapped on the shoulder. There was a joint venture, Macquarie Goodman, um, was a big property uh, joint venture. They were going gangbusters, um, listed on the stock exchange, were growing at phenomenal rate. Need to really get governance underway, being a large, getting to be a large Australian listed company. I headed up risk and audit there. Um, had a great time, fantastic company. Um, it was a very commercial approach to risk. They didn't um, tolerate uh, bureaucracy, they yeah. wanted um, commercial risk managers that added value. It was a great way to learn and get told things didn't work very, yes. very quickly. Uh, but unfortunately, the GFC hit, and although it was a fantastic company, um, we sort of share price got smashed. Um, uh, there was a lot of issues, and I would have stayed there, probably be there today, but um, had an opportunity with Coca-Cola and at all. Yep. And uh, I moved. I've been here eight years and spent the last eight years uh, embedding a co-source internal audit program and implementing a risk management framework. So yep. that's where I am today. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Uh, and one of the things... Um, I've seen you speak a couple of times now at conferences and, and you talk a lot about analytics and data and just hearing that, you can see this is something that you, you're quite comfortable mm. with. Um, could you share for the listeners a little bit about how you apply analytics in the risk space? What are the sort of things sure. that you... I think, look, my, my main mantra with risk is there's a couple of ways to approach it and there's not a cookie-cutter approach for every organisation. Yep. Right? My way of doing it here may not work at a bank or somewhere sure. else. That one, I want to say that first and foremost. Absolutely. But what works here is, um, I've always uh, the principle I've always challenged the risk team is to is to ask the question, what would the business do? What did the business do 10, 15, 20 years ago when risk managers weren't around? Because yes. obviously they manage risk mm. because they were successful. So mm. all of a sudden there's this profession that's appeared 
that should be adding value in some way, shape or form, either growing the business or protecting the business, right? So the challenge I have is how do we understand what the risks are and how do people manage them without encroaching on them telling us all the time because otherwise, why are we here? Yeah, yep. Right. You're not serving them. We're not serving, serving you. them. Yep. All yep. they're doing is reporting. Yeah, and it just wastes everybody's time. Yep. And you know, um, if something goes wrong, and they say, "Oh, why didn't the risk management know about it?" Well, I say, "Well, he didn't tell me because it wasn't in his in the questionnaire." <laughs> Do you, you know what I mean? Yep. So, what we've spent basically the seven or eight years doing is understanding how the business manager risk. And one way is, one way of measuring that is around the use of data. Um, for example. Uh, how do we manage customers here and the risks around losing customers? You know, one of the measures, this is an example, is yep. that the customer are very happy when they get what they ordered on time and it's invoiced in full. Um, they don't like it when we don't deliver stuff, it's out of stock, they get a bit frustrated. So yep. we, we have a measure for that. Right. It's called Diffitide, it's living in, uh, in full yep. uh, and invoice on time. Yep. So we get the data across the organisation say, right, where is our benchmark for the delivered in fulls yep. and where should it be? And then we can measure across the operation where are we dipping against that data point, right. which could be an indicator that there's a bit of an issue going on in the warehouse or with the logistics, which goes to, okay, if we don't fix this, we're going to have unhappy customers. Yep. So we understand how the business manage their customer risk, tap into that data, and then can be on the front foot and have a conversation with someone. Hey, listen, I just saw some of your um, some of their measures have been dipping. Is there an issue? Do yep. we want to talk about it? Or it's gone red? Or so we have a whole bunch of metrics yep. across the organisation, from you know manufacturing efficiencies to our, how much water we use to how pe- how many days people take off when they're injured um, to sales data. So these are KPIs that have already existed in the business. For hundred years, yeah. right? Yeah. It's we grab those KPIs, we yeah. understand where they are with their benchmarks, pull it into a risk type of format, yeah. and then have those conversations with the heads around how they're managing their risk. Yeah. We don't go in there and say fill in a risk register. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we do. Um, so that's a lot of the bottom up data stuff, but we still have a conversation with the highest executive around. Yeah. You know what are our strategic risks and. You know, it could be sugar tax, it could be container deposit legislation, it could be, you know, Amazon coming in. So we still yep. have high-level risk workshops and yep. discussions, yep. but I don't have hundreds of them and I don't have risk registers. I tap into all the data. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's some risk you can get data for, there's others where... And there's got, others yeah, you just yeah. have to have yeah. a step back yes. and have an insightful conversation about yeah. what those issues are. Yeah. Yeah, well, that sounds really powerful because at least when you're going to talk to the business, you're talking in their language Correct. about the stuff, stuff that they're probably already aware of anyway. Correct. Yeah. And I yeah. find that the relationship that we've had to build over those years is um, it's an upfront and honest conversation about when something does dip and there is an issue and that, you know, we, if, if we had an issue with a particular line, uh, let's say it was in one of our remote countries... Um, and the, it did come up red on our risk map. We have the opportunity to have discussion at the risk committee yep. with the manager yes. to sort of say, look, these are the issues and the risks associated with it. They find it's a positive experience yes. because they're not being, you know, uh, dragged over the coals. Yes. So they're more likely to be open up front about this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, well, that's good. It works. Yeah. Excellent. No, that's good. And, and uh, that then gives you, I guess, a very good relationship with the business units. Yes. And I guess the team 
your team yes. feels a bit more engaged and, and value, uh, valued by yes. the business. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Cool. And, and I think it's important. You know, I have presented this model over the last five years at different forums consistently. And I think I always get risk managers, especially younger risk managers coming up to me or more inexperienced risk managers yep. and say, oh, that'd be great. You, you, get, you don't have risk registers or yep. you go, I just love it. It's such a waste of time and we've got to ask the business for this information and they don't cooperate and it's really hard to do and I love to do it. And it, conceptually, it's not a difficult thing, but... It is hard to do because you've got to find the right people to do it. Yeah. And the right people have to have that, um, that presence, if you like, um, with, with management, have yes. an understanding of the business, be commercial. Yes. Um, that gravitas is the yes. word I'm looking for. Yes. They've got to have the gravitas um, to have that discussion. And that comes with a little bit of time. Yeah. And I do, my risk and audit managers are integrated now, right. which okay. is also a a bone of contention with with some people because they always say, oh, how do you do second line and third line and shouldn't you be splitting? And yep. and as I said, it's not cookie cutter, but in this organisation, risk management is more of a third line defence here. Well, sorry, our independent risk management team yes. is more of a third, third line, line. defence than it is a second line because it's this is what the data says. Yep. We're interrogating it. Yes. We're, sh- we're asking them to show me and prove it to us, and we audit against it. Yeah. So the, the, the advantage is the risk guy is also the audit guy, so he also understands the process in the business, so yeah. he has the gravitas. Yes. So that helps. Now, I understand that doesn't work for all organisations, no. but in ours, it does. And, and with the first line so engaged... That's right. ...makes yeah. life a lot, a lot different than a lot of organisations. Correct. Where, where they feel like risk is being sort of forced down their throat. Correct. So yeah. that's why it should always be clear. Like, I always find that first line management, second line risk management in the business, and our risk managers are engineers and, you know, techs, and yes. so they're looking at those... And, and, and so they do that risk management yep. embedded in their... Sec, they've got a second line sort of embedded. Yes. Um, you know, we have uh, businesses doing their own second line sort of audits on... So they'll have the finance team doing inventory checks on a monthly basis. So they're not inventory managers, they're finance people. Yeah. But they're playing a second line defence in an area that they don't normally operate. Yeah. So it works here. Um, and that's how we use data, really. We use data to tell us a story. It tells us a story. We ask the questions and we present it. That's great. So, it sounds like Nirvana. What's the... Uh... Good. I'm glad you said this because it's not. <laughs> so, what's the, what's the bit of the role that, that you jump out of bed for every day? And what's the bit where you say, oh, you know, that's still a bit frustrating? What, what are the things that are the pluses and the minuses, I suppose? I think... Um, we, we, so, conceptually, that's how um, we, we do it. But there's always challenges with, do you have the right data? Yeah. Are the benchmarks the right benchmarks? Because over the years, we've, you sort of because the business knows their business better than you do yep. and if you're not experienced as a risk manager you might take it on face value mm. that this is say the water usage is this is the benchmark it might be 1.2 litres somewhere and it might be 1.8 and you might not be experienced enough to ask why is it one so you sort of take the benchmarks and yes. after a few years when it's always green yep. and then you think well shouldn't the benchmark be a little bit lower Yes, I think that's the challenge for risk managers is is is, not, is getting the data but not taking it on, on face value is, yeah. is the constant challenge of it. Yeah. I think also Nirvana is when you can access and interrogate the systems yourself, there still is a heavy reliance on the business providing you the data. Right. Because you, you right. think about any large business, 
all there's so many disparate systems, yes. so many different geographic locations, and you don't have user access to all these systems. Yes. So you still have to rely pull, pull on the yeah. data being pulled. Yeah. So Nirvana is when you have that opportunity to interrogate it yourself, yep. cut it yourself. Inter- and I think the risk managers of tomorrow will take this type of model and have the ability to have self-interrogation, so interrogate it with some sort of, you know, I'm not a tech expert, but a, no, no. you know, some sort of data warehouse or some sort of tool that can give them access to these systems. Yep. And then the next level is, which we're starting to explore, is artificial intelligence, which starts looking at sort of trends across these different data systems to give us weak yep. signals that something's happening that shouldn't be happening. Yep. So we're starting to look at where can we take the next take it to the next level. But that's Nirvana when the risk manager opens up their computer, all their risk data and their benchmarks are all on a, oh, on a dashboard. Yep. We can interrogate at any point in time and then we can have some phone calls and conversations with different people in the business because something's happening that we can see live. Yeah. So that swings the whole um, mode of operation, I suppose, to lots of interaction and discussions on a phone per se, yes. rather than having to go out in front of the business and discover yeah. and investigate. Yes. So if you've got that live data, you can you just can do it yourself. Be proactive. Yeah. Look, there will always be um, uh, an architectural component where you'll have to go yeah. out and set it up sure. and, inter- and find out what systems. So yeah. there will always be you know, a year or two of build. Yep. But, you know, an hour year or two of build or three years of build is understanding where those systems are, who's responsible for it, who can provide us the data sets, getting those data sets on a regular basis. Yes. So you'll never stop the architectural piece no. happening, but no. once you've got it, it should be less onerous on the business. Um, but we found we've got it in a, in a place where the KPIs that they're giving us are KPIs they report on anyway. So, yeah, it's not, it's not like good. they're trying to give us something else. Right. So I think Nirvana is when you get that, when a risk manager can sit back and see what's happening yes. from a data perspective That's right. across the organisation. So, so in the team, is there a data guru or do each of the risk people themselves actually sort of have to go and find this data and, and pull that in? No, there's not a, what we call a data guru. It's more um, because the data that we're collecting is not overly complex. Yep. It's just disparate. Yes. Yeah. So when you think about, you know, Safety, you've got to get your lost time injuries. So yep. you've got to find out where your total reporter injury frequency rates are. So you're getting it from your HNS guys. Or if it's uh, financial risk, you might be looking at um, uh, uh, doubtful debts or yep. um, uh, amount of customers that have exceeded their credit limit. So when you look at the actual data itself, it is not overly complex. Yeah. It's just where you find it. It just sits everywhere. It yeah. sits yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So the the yeah. trouble is finding it. Yeah. Um, but then once we get it, the risk managers look at it and try and then interpret what is the story it's trying to tell me. Yes. Right. So we're looking at if safety is a bit of an issue in one part of the country, um, we're also seeing manufacturing efficiencies down as well. So is there a systemic problem? So we've got to sit back from the data and look at what is it t- trying to tell us. Yeah. Um, which I think comes with experience and more of a senior person. I think as we get into we're looking at now is this more of this artificial intelligence and crunching summit, uh, looking at what is the data telling us across the organisation, can we be more analytical on this? I think we are starting to look at how can we use data analysts more and how can we expand the team more. But 
I, I, I don't want to get us into a situation where it's, what's the old, old saying? It's analysis paralysis. Yeah, yeah exactly. That you get all this information, you start analysing it 10 ways to Sunday, trying to come up with something that is trying to tell you where... I tell you, the most powerful thing is if you can just get the basics of data, yep. get it to tell a story of what's happening, have the business accept that you're right on the money and have the board see that yep. and the business front of the board, that's 90% of yeah. managing risk from the bottom up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. So your team then, um, the day in the life of is, is really understanding, uh, I presume they're yep. working on projects at yes. the time, and yeah, yep. so they're, they're understanding the scenario, they're looking, they're gathering the data, yep. talking to the business a lot by the sounds of yes. it, and exchanging yep. information. And, yeah. yeah, so look, we would, as I said, we'd like to be collecting the data more regularly, yep. um, but I think realistically, if you're a risk manager or someone trying to set up this process, usually it's quarterly to start with, yeah. because you know that's your reporting yep. process, um, you will determine frequency and appropriate frequency because sometimes the data doesn't change a lot month on month um, or you can't see the trends. Um, So we usually find quarterly is adequate for us. Um, Where I'd like to evolve it is more data, different data across different parts of our organisation. But a day in the life of our people is, as I said, they wear risk and audit hats. So um, the beauty about that is that our audits are very commercial. The type of audits we do, we don't typically stick with the traditional type audits, we look at everything from how marketing spend their dollars and the rationale around and the controls around new products and how they go through the innovation pipeline and who approves it. And We look at um, performance ratios for cold drink equipment. So there's a whole host of things that our audit team look at commercially, which is heavily related to where the risk data comes from. Yes, yes. So by the very nature of what they do, um, understanding the audit and what the risk is commercially, they can tie it into how the risk is reported. Yeah, yeah. Which then, when they do their final, when we do our final risk reporting, we can have a great view across the organisation what yeah. the issues are. Yeah. Because it's not the audit and risk team talking together because they're the same people. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but that that sounds like then that the business would be sort of almost very keen to hear from you know Absolutely. the final report because this is very commercial. It's very commercial yeah, yeah. Um, audit and we're all over it and. Typically what we find in our organisation, which is a great credit to the team, is whenever we go through a massive change or a transformation, is um, not only have we now got one of our guys embedded in a major transformation, but they want us to do um, uh, pre-audit and risk audit work around. If we're going to put in a new framework, we want audit to look at the control design before it's implemented. Good. Yeah. So we're not going to get have any issues once we've implemented in the back end. Yeah. So we're finding that we're becoming transactional. Yes. In a sense that we're being used up front as yes. opposed to a third line. Yeah. Um, that's good. So that's a great win. Yeah. I, and not everywhere on all of our jurisdictions, but certainly in Australian beverages, which is yep. the biggest part of our business. Yeah. Uh, our CFO is a, a massive fan of of the value that this this risk and that's audit good. team give, and that's why he wants them up front. That's good. And you often hear, you know, audits also a bit of consulting, and that sounds like it's exactly that's what it. they're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's good. That's good. So uh, you mentioned um, you know, a lot of young people coming into risk, and I think yep. risk, to its credit, is starting to get a bit of uh, traction as a profession for, for young people. What, what would your advice be to people starting out in the profession? Um, look, I think it's an exciting profession. I think... Um, my advice is always look at the so what of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. We constantly as a team challenge ourselves, to, especially even in the audit spaces, 
whenever we do something is what does this mean? How is this either going to grow revenue yeah. or reduce costs? So I always say to young risk managers, think about if you are off for four weeks or a month or a few months or even six months, would the business miss you? Mm-hmm. Think about what you're doing day to day. Think about what you're pulling together. Who are they for? And who is it? Who does it add value to? And think about if you weren't here, would they miss you? And yeah. if the answer is they wouldn't really miss you, then you're not doing it right. Yeah, right. So have a think about well, what do you think would add value to the business? Maybe some insights that they're unaware of. Yeah, great. So if you could somehow build a framework that you can use things like data or reporting or or, or even external insights. You yeah. know, where are the weak signals? In your, you know, if you're in telco or FMCG or in finance, where are the global weak signals happening elsewhere that you could bring some value back and say, yeah. look, we've seen this in Mexico or we've seen this in the US. Yep. We want to have a look at the control environment here to see that it couldn't happen here. So what are you doing that is adding value to the business and is not just a reporting tool for the board? Yeah, yeah. So that's my advice. And if you think that it's wasting time and you think that the direction that the, the team that you're in are not going to go anywhere, there are plenty, plenty of jobs out there that want to go this direction yeah, yeah. Uh, into how does risk management add value back to business, how do they almost become transactional, how do they become consultative. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I, I, and I think it's wise advice. It's a, As you said, it's an exciting, it's yeah. an exciting profession and it's, a, and it's a great career. So uh, we've talked a lot about engagement with the business and it sounds like, you know, you've pretty well nailed that. Um, is there anything else you'd pass on to the listeners about those extra miles you've got to go? And, and, and it sounds like um, the interactivity between your risk managers slash auditors is quite good. Mm-hmm. How do you liaise and, and interact with the business leaders, with the board? You know, how, how does that relationship work for you? Yeah, look, I think... Um I, I certainly wouldn't say that we've nailed it. I think we've got... Um, I always think that there's loads of improvement in the area. I think um, the concept of how we tackle risk on confident is, is a great approach. Um, communication is always the key mm. with with our profession. Um and that could always be improved. Um, we're not on every single senior manager's meeting, you know, exec co's or yeah. uh, group leadership team meetings. Um, we're not always tapped in, so communication's always going to be, be key. And I have great relationships. My team have great relationships with all the GMs and the country leads, but we can always do it better and right. we've always got to find ways of, of doing it better and, and ways to tap in and communicate better um, because sometimes there are things that come up that we're not aware of we don't work in a vacuum and it's hard to work in you know you can't as risk managers work into a vacuum so I think my where my challenge for me going forward is um, is how do I continually improve Communication with each of the country's GMs, and I would be very surprised if you spoke to any CRO or any head of risk or any head of audit mm. in the country that says I am completely across everything that happens mm. in these major parts no, of the business. Right. Yeah. I sit on all the executive committees, and I know, and nothing goes gets done unless it goes through me. Yeah. I don't think you'll ever get no, that no, right. No. But I think I'm always looking at. Um, the right balance. I'm up, I'm up in Indonesia next week. Yep. Um, so I'm up with the with the audit team, and so my primary role in Indonesia next week 
is not to get in the way of my audit team. Yes. They're going to do two or three audits. Yep. I'll play some part, but my, my part is to, to spend time with the country GM and the country yep. CFO around what are the big issues, yep. what's bothering them with the controls. So I think you can't have a CRO or a head of risk or any risk manager that sits behind a desk. They should be, should be out and about, out about talking it. to people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And, and have those strategic conversations. And, and absolutely, yeah. well, you yep. can be the best at the data. Yep. If you don't know what's happening... You know, with the GM having a conversation with the member of parliament because they're introducing it, you won't know that through the data. No, you, know, exactly. you have to get that through conversation. Exactly. And you've got a uh, a great CEO. Uh, and yes. I, I used to work for Alison, so uh, I, I, I think know. she was fantastic. Yes, and, she is. Uh, so uh, you have a great um, supporter there, I would imagine, as well in in the risk space. Yeah, um, absolutely. Alison's um, a very very supportive um, CEO. Uh, uh, there is nothing that you can bring to Alison um, if you think there's an issue. Of course, I, my mantra is if you bring something, raise something, it's more about what's being done to fix it. Yes. So she's certainly very supportive of that safeguarding yes. um, uh, process that we, we play. Yeah. Um, our CFO, Martin Roberts, is extremely supportive. Yeah. Um, he's always looking at how we can improve efficiencies. He's always looking at how we can better control the business. Um, He's a great listener, um, and I think we always bang on about you can't get something done unless you have the support from the top down. Yeah, and yeah. it's easy, easy to say that and yes. give lip service to that, um, yeah. but I think Martin and Allison, in my career, are probably uh, the CEO and the CFO that demonstrate that the most. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. Who can see a real commercial reason why we what we do. Yeah. Um, Having said that, uh, you know, again, this is a bit of a contentious thing with some of my um, uh, fellow auditors is we have a KPI that we, we have in our team around how much we can save the business. Yes. Um, you know, uh, traditionals would say your role is assurance, and that is our role, mm. but we also look at, well, what, what, what's a stretch KPI for us, you know, whether it's a million, is it two million, is it three million, yeah. that audit can save the business. Yeah. Through their auditing process, yeah. why can't we? Yeah, um, and it's there. we're not there to redesign no, no, stuff no, no. for for the business, Absolutely. but we should be able to say, why don't you look? It's inefficient and it's more efficient in PNG or it's more efficient in Indonesia. Do it this yep. way, you'll save two million. Absolutely. So when you have that approach as well as assurance, you're going to get a very supportive. Absolutely. CEO. Yeah, and, I, and I, you know, in organisations I've worked with, you see. Um, people are great at putting new controls in place when there's a risk. They're not so good at pulling old ones out when they're now outdated and you know been replaced by something else. So audit, I think, has a fantastic opportunity yeah. to do that. You know, efficiency test and say, well, why are you still doing that? Yeah. You know, we don't need it anymore. I agree. That's great. Um, and I guess maybe lastly, just to wind up, the profession itself. Yep. Um, you know, it's had a lot of challenges, and there's there's. Um, opportunity, I think, for even professional qualifications and some of those sort of things. What do you, what do you think, as a profession, we could be doing better or, or some of the big challenges facing risk at the moment? Uh, look, I think it's based on the themes we just spoke today about. Yeah. I think um, risk will grow um, in, its, in its own stature. It'll grow if the more we can add value. Yeah. When risk managers are get some get hired and they introduce a whole heap of... Um, administrative burden on the business, it's just not going to grow as yeah. a profession. It's yeah. People are going to see it as a necessary compliance. Yes. And while it will get the basics of the function done and you can go home and get your, your paycheck, 
Um, it won't grow. It won't be the next evolution of risk. I think risk, once it gets to that um, full evolutionary phase of, of understanding what the big issues are, we'll, we'll have that seat at the table around um, you know, transactional uh, process. So you know, if it, whether it's a big M&A or a big CapEx or a strategic direction in the organisation, yeah. risk will be a valued opinion at that table. Yes. So my advice to people coming into the profession is if you want to succeed and you want to be really good at this and you want to look at what is your next opportunity, whether it's a, a chief operating officer or whether it's a CFO or whether it's an MD or a CEO, the more you can take your career in that direction, the more opportunity you'll give yourself. Yeah. And I think that's where risk has to go. It has to be added value. Otherwise, it'll, it'll other than a compliance requirement, it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll disappear. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess we see a little bit of that happening with some banks now, and sure. some of those sort of things. And you know, that's not bank bashing. You know, no, they've had risk sort of thrust on them, I suppose, yes. to some degree. And it's very um, compliance related, and it's, and it's yeah. about compliance. Yes. And APRA says you must you cross must this do. I and dot this T, and all, you know, all of those sort of things. Yes. So uh, you could understand there's there's um, a fair bit of disengagement from the business because hey, we're doing this because someone's telling us to do Correct. it, and to try and transition that to we're actually doing this because we want to do it and we know it gives us better business value. Correct. It's quite a big, quite a big bridge to cross. For, Correct. For, you know, and the banks are, to be fair to the banks, um, they've always been there in the area of credit risk because credit risk is transactional. Yeah. It approves the deals. Yes. It's been there with market risk because any big market deals, um, you know, it has to be look at what are the parameters around that particular deal. So Absolutely. market risk uh, approves those deals. Yep. So they're transactional. Where the challenge for banks is on the operational risk side. space because yep. it's very compliance driven around how much capital you need to keep from an operational risk perspective. So yep. there's a lot of data. And so when operational risk starts to become more transactional, then it will add a lot more value. More value. Yep. But when you're working outside of banking, yep. as a risk professional, I think you've got to be even more commercial because we don't have the same compliance requirements as say APRA, you know, with the, and an AFSL, you know, yep. financial services licenses. Yeah, yeah. So there's more pressure on young professionals to be good risk managers outside of yes. banking. Yes, and and you almost if you've had the experience in banking, which is which is a big plus in one way, you've sort of got to forget some of that stuff you've done as well if you're coming into a non-financial. Absolutely, because you don't want it to be that compliance. Correct. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Um, listen, thank you very much for your time. Is there anything else you wanted to cover off? I think we've we've had a. A good explorer around the the world of Coca Cola Amatol. No, it's um, um, look as I said, it's a, I've been in the profession risk management now for sort of over fifteen years, and um, uh, like any professions, it's finding its way and it's finding its feet. I yep. think um, you know, in another ten years, um, with the massive advancements in technology and robotics and artificial mm. intelligence and the ability, I think, in, you know, in 10 years in the world of technology is humongous. Like, yeah, you think about iPhones, weren't, I don't think they were around 10 years 10 ago. Years, yeah. So you think about where we'll be in 10 years and the amount of data that can be interrogated and, you know, um, and it's not all of that data, but where risk will be yeah. is exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So Absolutely. Good. good time to get on board. All right, well, Andrew, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, um, Andy. I'm sure the listeners uh, will appreciate that. So uh, to those listening in, thank you for your time. Um, uh, as I said, my name's Anthony Wilson. You can contact me if you would like to have a chat on 0404 829 040. 
or my website is www.proximityriskassurance.com.au. So thank you again for listening and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye for now.